Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Keeping the Dialogue Open in Early Stage Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Instituting a Multidisciplinary Approach. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol Myers Squibb. Hello, I'm Dr. Patrick Ford. I'm a thoracic medical oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And today I'm here with Dr. Aaron Gillespie, thoracic surgeon. And Dr. Gillespie, today we're planning to review some of the factors which should be considered when determining patient eligibility for neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy. Fabulous. So grateful to be here with you today. I think one of the really exciting things about lung cancer is more and more people going from that stage four into that earlier stage disease, which means we can think about aggressive local treatment options for our patients. When I think about patients who are being considered for surgery, there's a few factors that I consider. For patients who are clearly unresectable, invading into structures that we cannot completely resect, these are not the patients we're going to be talking about today who should be considered for a neoadjuvant or periadjuvant treatment regimen with a resection. The really sort of controversial area, I think, when we think about resectability is those slightly more central tumors that may or may not need a pneumonectomy, as well as the nodal involvement. So whether we're talking about single station, multi-station, microscopic versus bulky, really important to take into account some patient factors as well. So PFTs and making sure they have a great functional status and of course, honoring their personal wishes as well. Now, one of the big challenges that we surgeons have to think about now is making sure that we're getting all the right testing and getting our patients over to our medical oncology colleagues just a little bit sooner. Dr. Ford, talk to me a little bit about how you're thinking about biomarker testing and pdl one testing in this earlier stage neoadjuvant era. Yeah, I think for many years when we've needed biomarker testing in advanced lung cancer, and now it's becoming a requirement in early stage disease, essentially for patients with newly diagnosed stage one to three non-small cell lung cancer, it's recommended all of those patients have pdl one testing. And because of the use of neoadjuvant therapy, this should really be on the pretreatment biopsy so that we can have an idea of what their pdl one expression when choosing between neoadjuvant and adjuvant. Similarly, and especially for non-squamous disease, because of recent data with adjuvant dosimertinib, which has been approved and shown a survival benefit for tumors harboring EJ4 alterations, and most recently for adjuvant electinib, we also need EJ4 and ALK status. And because we wouldn't want to treat those patients with neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy, we again need those two mutation results from the pretreatment biopsy. One of the huge debates we hear constantly too is what is the right treatment approach? Is it neoadjuvant? Is it adjuvant? Dr. Ford, tell us what you're thinking about as we have all of these different regimens becoming available. So I think there's really been a sea change. Previously, we hadn't thought too much about neoadjuvant therapy for lung cancer. But I think with the increasing kind of recognition that the situation where the tumor is still inside you may be key for response to immunotherapy, we've seen more and more of a migration to the preoperative setting. The idea being that when the tumor draining lymph node is inside you, that's where the immune response occurs. So you probably want it to be inside you when you give the immunotherapy. And overall, when you compare neoadjuvant and adjuvant trials in lung cancer, I think the results have been more impressive with neoadjuvant. And that's also the case in other tumor types such as melanoma. Fantastic. In the next session, let's review the efficacy data for neoadjuvant immunotherapeutic agents for early stage non-small cell lung cancer.
In this session, we're going to look at some efficacy data for the approved neoadjuvant and perioperative immunotherapy-based options in the early treatment of non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. Ford, why don't you kick it off by telling us about Checkmate 816? This was a trial that examined chemo plus nivolumab prior to surgery for stage 1b to 3a non-small cell lung cancer. And the key results here were that the addition of nivolumab improved pathologic complete response, but importantly also event-free survival favoring the nivolumab-containing arm at three years, and also a strong trend towards overall survival. So that regimen now has been available to be prescribed for the last 18 months in the US and in many countries worldwide. There's also a second trial, Keynote 671, and this shows a very similar benefit in terms of event-free survival. The important difference here is that this is periadjuvant therapy, so neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy followed by one year of adjuvant pembrolizumab. We also recently found out that this study is positive for overall survival, which is the ultimate goal of many of our trials in early-stage disease. And then the Aegean trial, which has a very similar design to Keynote 671, except involved the anti-PDL1 agent, Dervalumab. And this was four cycles of chemo plus Dervalumab, followed by one year of adjuvant Dervalumab, compared to neoadjuvant chemo alone. And again, at two years, shows a significant improvement in event-free survival. Finally, very recently at ESMO, we had data presented from Checkmate 77T, which is neoadjuvant chemo plus nivolumab followed by adjuvant nivolumab, which, as you might expect, was positive for event-free survival. Perhaps, Dr. Gillespie, you can comment on Nadine too. So this is another incredible periadjuvant trial giving neoadjuvant uh, chemo followed by surgical resection followed by additional immunotherapy. One of the Big differences and sort of unique aspects of this trial is while it is a little bit of a smaller trial, they specifically focused on patients who had a slightly more extensive nodal disease. So we're specifically looking at patients in the sort of stage 3A, stage 3B mediastinal lymph node involvement. And with this combination of treatments, we see better PFS and OS in their cohort of patients. And so another really exciting trial, sort of reaffirming these periadjuvant treatment options for our patients. So Dr. Gillespie, how do we put all these studies together for our patients with resectable lung cancer, in your opinion? Absolutely. It's such an exciting time. Well, I think one of the really important things that I think about from a surgical perspective is one, I have to be working super closely with my medical oncology colleagues to make sure that we're putting together a regimen that our patients can tolerate from start all the way through to completion. I'm a huge fan of the neoadjuvant approach, working with my medical oncology colleagues to see if my patients can be considered for that as part of a multimodal regimen. So in the next session in this series, we're going to examine in more detail some of the latest data on the safety profiles of these options, in particular preoperative setting in terms of surgical outcomes, and also longer term if we're administering a periadjuvant therapy with anti-PD-1 or PDL one in this session, we're going to review the safety profiles of our neoadjuvant and perioperative therapies for early stage non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. Ford, why don't you get us kicked off talking about some of the things that you think about when you're prescribing these regimens to your patients and some of the safety profiles? I think this is really a key question for our patients with lung cancer that's amenable to surgery because we have to recognize some of those patients are going to be cured by surgery alone. So anything which has the potential to add toxicity or reduce their likelihood of having surgery is really important. And thankfully, in the neoadjuvant trials so far, we have not seen a significant negative impact from neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy on the likelihood of going to surgery. In the Checkmate 816 trial, we saw very similar toxicity rates between those patients who got either chemo or chemo plus nivolumab in the neoadjuvant setting. And generally in the other trials, during that neoadjuvant phase, we see very similar toxicity levels 
when you add on the adjuvant phase of immunotherapy, you do start to see some differences in terms of immune toxicity. And I think that's significant when we're talking to our patients in that post-op setting, whether to proceed with the adjuvant portion or not, it's really weighing up risk and benefit for those patients in particular. And perhaps now, Dr. Gillespie, you can talk to our colleagues about some of the surgical outcomes and rates of surgical resection after neoadjuvant therapy. One of the big concerns that I hear a lot in the surgical community is, are we going to miss a window in which we can treat these patients with an aggressive local intervention? Now, when we look at the rates of resection in a lot of these trials, Nadeem is small, but very high, greater than 93% of patients. The rest of the trials that we've talked about, Checkmate, Keynote, AG, and all around that 80% mark, people get hung up on those numbers, but there's a lot of reasons patients don't go on to have surgery. For some of them, it's perhaps they weren't resectable up front. And that, you know, plane that we were hoping would clear up with the addition of new adjuvant therapy didn't. Sometimes it's a patient decisions as they think about what kind of treatment they'd like to have moving forward. Certainly there is a small percentage of people who do have progression, but there may be a biology in those patients that suggests that local control may not have been the best option for them either. So important things for us to think about. When we think about feasibility of surgery, some of our initial experiences were very challenging surgeries, high degrees of fibrosis. With this shorter duration of neoadjuvant treatment with the chemo IO, we're not seeing those same really dense changes. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that neoadjuvant therapy is going to make surgery easier. They're challenging cases, but it's certainly not making it harder. We're seeing very good rates of R0 resection. We're seeing equivalent rates of perioperative, morbidity, length of stay. We're actually seeing a slightly higher rate of a lesser resection, so lobectomy versus pneumonectomy in our chemo IO arm. I think that actually speaks to the degree of response that we're seeing, which is really exciting. One of the really important things to note is a high degree of the surgeries in these studies are being performed open. So we think about the minimally invasive approach, which is what a lot of us do in our day-to-day practice. That's being done at a lower level. Just, I think, highlighting some of the complexity of these cases in general. But surgery can be done safely as the key take-home point from these trials. That's great. I think that's a really helpful summary of everything. In the next session, we discuss how we choose which regimen to consider for these patients with early stage disease. So in this session, we will discuss best practices for choosing the appropriate regimen for patients with early stage lung cancer. And I think I'd ask Dr. Gillespie, my surgical colleague, you usually see these patients first. How do you decide which patients to refer for neoadjuvant therapy versus proceeding to surgery? I will tell you, for me, when there's an opportunity to give a patient upfront chemoimmunotherapy, meeting all the appropriate criteria, that's the pathway I'm going to select. First and foremost, we have to make sure we're doing really robust staging of our patients. We need to understand what their extent of disease is because if we inaccurately stage them as too low, we're going to miss potential opportunities for neoadjuvant therapies. The other big piece, and I say this all the time, is tissue is the issue. We have to know what we're dealing with histologically, and we need to know our molecular and PDL one testing. We don't want to be giving people with EGFR mutations, especially those exon 19 deletions, neoadjuvant chemo IO. We have a different therapy that we can be considering in the form of adjuvant osimertinib. I think it really underscores the contemporary importance of our whole team working together to make sure we have a really, really accurate stage, really accurate understanding of our patient's diagnosis, histology, and molecular markers, and of course, pdl one I think that's really key, that multidisciplinary input. Going back to first principles, for all of our current perioperative therapies, we're talking about clinical stage two and above disease. So those tumors, yeah. which are four centimeters or greater and or node positive. 
I think one differentiation which we've started to see is between those patients who have either a pathologic complete response or a major pathologic response to neoadjuvant therapy. When they come back to the clinic, do those patients require further therapy? Yeah, it's such a challenging decision. The biggest discussions we have are about the non-responders. Do we need to be thinking about a different chemotherapy regimen? Do we need to be completely changing our thoughts about those patients? I'm really excited about seeing the additional data to really start to hone in on which patients are going to benefit from that additional therapy the most because there is toxicity. Yeah, and I think it's something where the data will evolve and we'll have more mature data. One other final question is, so are there patients who should just receive adjuvant immunotherapy? I'm a huge proponent for ongoing adjuvant trials that we have treatment options for patients in that setting who we're discovering at a later time period. And so I'm hoping that we'll continue to see additional trials in this space, especially for molecular targets. The final session, let's discuss how the evolving data could affect how we decide on the best therapeutic approaches for our patients with early stage non-small cell lung cancer. In this session, we're going to look at some of the evolving data we're expecting to help inform how we may treat our patients with early stage non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. Ford, how are you bringing all of this data together to try to choose a regimen for your patients? Yeah, I think it's a welcome challenge, really. The feeling ultimately is that we will see more and more use of pathologic response to help determine the post-operative course of patients and also potentially in the longer term, the use of liquid biopsies and minimal residual disease as potential guides for how we treat patients postoperatively. The other element I think that I could ask you is maybe to consider the use of these agents, whether we should be using these agents in patients with EGF4 mutation disease. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Because we know we have a great option for our patients. We have the Adora trial, which has been published, which showed a significant eventually survival and overall survival for our patients in the adjuvant setting. We have Neoadora coming down the pipeline as well, which we're all hopeful will similarly show that benefit. And we know that while there are some EGFR mutations that maybe do okay with immunotherapy, maybe slightly better in the LA58R mutation group, we also know that some of our EGFR mutations are sort of classically immunologically cold and just don't do very well, like the exon 19 deletion. And so certainly that sort of underscores, again, the importance of understanding our disease or molecular testing and pdl one status before making those multidisciplinary treatment decisions. I agree. Adjuvant therapy is preferred for those patients. Dr. Ford, in your trial, you selected three doses of neoadjuvant chemo-IO and some of the other ones they selected four. How many doses should we be giving patients before surgery? Well, over 80% of the patients in Checkmate H16 actually got the full three doses, whereas quite a few patients didn't get that fourth cycle in the other two trials. So practically speaking, I think a lot of patients will end up getting three cycles because the fourth cycle may not be tolerable or other toxicities. And I doubt whether one more cycle in that setting is going to make a big difference. But again, we do have both options now. And we also have 77T, which is four cycles of chemo nevo. There's a little bit of variability in the pre-op and hopefully some additional clarity in the post-op. I love it. Very, very exciting. Dr. Ford, what are some of your biggest take-home points for our learners today? I think a key point is that early stage lung cancer is probably one of the most exciting areas in cancer research and clinical development at the moment. For many years, we had no new treatments for these patients, and now we have many approvals. So it's really important when we see a patient with early stage lung cancer that we work them up appropriately and that we offer them the options which will maximize their chances of long-term cure from this disease. I think more than ever, it really truly demands that multidisciplinary approach, which is really exciting. Thank you so much for such a great discussion. 
Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.